everyone, my name is Tyler Clawson, and thank you for tuning into my podcast. Today, I will be talking about something near and dear to my heart, music. More specifically, and very specifically in fact, the evolution of Western music throughout the years. The history and evolution of music has always been a really fascinating thing to me, particularly so due to its many dark and often unknown influences. It's most exemplified via tracing influences from current artists and musical styles on top of a broad overview. That is to say, this podcast will primarily be following multiple case studies on this subject. To start off, I'd like to take a look at a more niche, seemingly very innocent song. It's titled Goodbyes by The Frights. To those unfamiliar, as I'm sure most of you are, it's a simple song with an acoustic backing track. The lyrics outline a new, rejuvenated perception of love and relationships. Coming off of some poor experiences and supposedly giving up on love, the singer finds solace and comfort in a new one, all the while outlining his fear of the titular goodbyes. The lyrics show next to nothing as for its influences, but it's upon examining instrumental styles and other tendencies exhibited by this band that they do truly shine through. Right away, the motif and repeated finger-picking style are evident should you listen to the song from the beginning. To those familiar with musical technicalities, it's in the key of D major. The repeated, warm-sounding chords are reminiscent of something that is shown through for all of the Fright's work. Surf music. They've been said to sound both carefree and angsty, and are self-described as a surf-punk band. Their eponymous album was meant to be 50s rock rejuvenated, with similar vocal styles and backing tracks, a goal that was wholeheartedly achieved. As such, artists from that time period remain an influence on the group, people like Ray Charles, Paul Anka, and Ella Fitzgerald. While these aren't glaringly obvious upon first listen simply due to the varying instrumental styles, these are the artists behind inspirations for those such as the Beach Boys, who the Frights have taken direct inspiration from, and all of those artists' vocal styles remain relatively prominent. Of this group, Ray Charles was unquestionably the most influential, and due to that I have chosen him to follow down this path, this sort of game of telephone I'm playing here. Playing jazz and gospel from a young age, he overcame the challenges that came with being a black man in the late 20th century and found monumental success. It's been said that his music uniting people largely assisted with race relations. He was also said to have been ripped off by Elvis Presley, going as far as to call the man out in an interview, which is a sentiment shared by many. Charles remains one of the most monumental and influential musicians of all time. And he has gone on record stating that his biggest inspiration was the legend himself, Nat King Cole, going as far as to call the man his hero. It's here that things get darker. It's also when the history becomes slightly less clear. While all the following musicians are deeply influential and essentially changed the course of music history, and while all of their names are documented, there's hardly information on them simply due to the time period and, if we're being honest, the color of their skin. Were these people to be white, I have almost no doubt in my mind that their lives would be further cemented. As such, I'm going to breeze past this a bit. Nat King Cole was directly taught by one Earl Hines, who took a play out of Joe Smith's book when improvising melody lines, a documented fact. As such, Joe Smith was a key contributor to Earl Hines' sound. 
Joe Smith was a member of the second most popular jazz band in the world at time, McKinney's Cotton Pickers. Now, if you know anything about American history, you know what that name means. A band comprised solely of African-American members calling themselves Cotton Pickers. It's, quite frankly, obviously a direct reference to enslavement. It's almost as though they were making a mockery of themselves, making themselves an easy target as to be labeled more consumable because they didn't act like they wanted to be treated as equals. It's almost like that because it is like that. This is a direct result of minstrelsy. While their music was certainly good, the fact is that they reached their success due to making themselves a joke. People were laughing at them rather than with them. This is further exemplified with a glance at any of their marketing material. The art on their posters depicted a cartoonish, minstrelized version of the band, because quite frankly, that was all they could be at the time. Minstrelsy was, in essence, a racist circus show originating primarily due to a man named Thomas Rice who encountered an enslaved person singing to themselves while cleaning a horse. The music struck a chord with him, so to speak, and an idea hit him. He took elements of slave music, a deeply emotional and unique style, and then proceeded to paint himself black before performing a musical and comedy act on stage. It incorporated what were considered to be more irregular rhythms at the time and often had a call and response bout or two. The percussion was prominent, and a lot of emphasis was placed on unique vocal styles. Of course, simply adapting musical styles isn't why I call this racist. That is a normal part of creating any sort of art to be influenced by different cultures. What was racist, however, was Thomas painting himself black, and then proceeding to act in accordance with what he believed black people to be like. That is to say, mispronouncing words, having similar speech patterns to that of a child, portraying portraying himself as sleazy, lazy, and ignorant. Now, it should go without saying, none of that is in accordance with one race. You cannot assign personality traits to someone due to the color of their skin, but at the time, this is what most white people thought to be true. The music was practically unheard of. It was electrifying. The crowd was uproarious in laughter during the comedy bits. They were uproarious in laughter at making black people a joke. Thomas received seven encores. I repeat, seven encores. The monumental success of this show led to it exploding in popularity. Blackface became commonplace. Making a mockery and portraying a caricature of black people became a pastime for the American people. Black people as the butt of every joke was the norm. They were ridiculed, seen as lesser on top of all of their already pre-existing hardships. These minstrel shows absolutely exploded in popularity, thus the influences on music being so widespread. From slavery came minstrelsy. From minstrelsy, as disgusting as it was, came art. The influences are seen everywhere. Anyone familiar with the genre of yacht rock should be able to recognize this. Yacht rock, synonymous with West Coast sound, encompasses artists like Steely Dan, Johnny Nash, and Fleetwood Mac. Anything from these artists has such an undeniably black influence. From the raspy or powerful vocals, the prominent rhythm styles, it is abundantly clear. Anyone familiar with the most influential black artists should be able to pick this up from a single listen with that in mind. 
Now, of course, this goes beyond America. What with here being the pop culture center of the world, it's no wonder that these influences have extended past the seas. One of the more successful musicians to have such an open influence is Hozier. Having garnered nearly 17 million monthly listeners, he has been very open about his influences, which makes this quite a bit easier for me. His song Nina Cried Power both shares what can be said to be a black vocal style, of which Hozier has admitted, and the lyrics directly referencing notable black artists who influenced him. It's a self-described protest song, outlining things like racial protest and inequality. The effects of slavery in America remain an influence on the world. The significance of such a terrible and tragic thing cannot be understated. This is seen socioeconomically as well, and that cannot be forgotten. I feel as though this should go without saying, but the music that came from this is not a positive thing or a good side to such a tragedy. Rather, this is humans doing what humans do best, creating. Why are we here if not to see the beauty in everything around us? Who are we to take tragedy and let it die there, to just let its sorrow reign? That isn't light as the result of darkness, that is taking sorrow and transforming it into something artful. It isn't a result of it, it is us transforming. Such a passionate and undeniably human thing. With that, I'd like to thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed and can walk away with this having learned something new. Have a good day.